0: Hear the word of the prophet Isaiah, Come, let us reason together. Though our sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. We are justified by grace, through faith, because of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. On the fifth Sunday of Easter, the lectionary converges two passages of scripture that are great to see together. John 13 brings us back to the upper room and Revelation 21 propels us to the description of a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus says to the disciples on the eve of his crucifixion, where I am going you cannot come. This comes as kind of a bombshell for the disciples. They have walked with Jesus, they have seen him heal, They have prayed with Jesus, they have lived with Jesus, now for some time. And Jesus says, that's going to end. Where I'm going, you cannot come. And then he initiates the new commandment. I give you a new commandment, that you shall love one another as I have loved you. But the Apostle Peter does not, well, I shouldn't say Apostle yet, Peter, the disciple, doesn't hear that new commandment. He's still stuck on what Jesus said, I'm going and you cannot come. A little bit like when you sit in a doctor's office and the doctor says something to you that uh, immediately rivets your brain and you don't hear anything more that she or he says from that point on. Peter responds then by saying, well, I'll follow you wherever you're going to go. I'll even lay my life down. And he responds with kind of a heroic spirituality, still having not heard about the new commandment. What this passage, the two passages together, I think, do for us is that they put in intention a false literal and a true literal. Literal. The false literal is the very human tendency, in the absence of a physical, literal, earthly Jesus, to put something in his place that is physical and literal and earthly. Sometimes we project our need for Christ onto other people so as to live vicariously through their spirituality, through their personality. Sometimes that 's done the pastor becomes that substitute. Sometimes think that that may be true in other traditions than in the episcopal tradition, but maybe the tendency would be for ritual and tradition to become sort of the, the earthly physical, literal reality as, as a substitute for Jesus. The danger here being of of Christian idols. Where instead of the elements of liturgy, of stained glass, of crosses leading us to worship, they become something of the substitute for a real relationship with the living, risen Lord Jesus. Please understand I'm not knocking ritual and tradition and liturgy. When I served a church in Denver... Really a beautiful sanctuary. Behind the pulpit was a a row of stained glass windows depicting the life of Jesus. Beautifully done against gray stone. And to the right of the pulpit was a 12-foot oak freestanding cross. And you walked into the sanctuary and your, your eyes immediately went to the cross. And that cross kind of defined Our worship defined not only the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us, but a a praxis of discipleship, a way of discipleship. And I remember uh, talking with one young couple that was being uh, prepared for, for marriage. We walked into the sanctuary, and they were very familiar with the sanctuary, but the bride-to-be was kind of picturing what the wedding pictures would look like. And and she looked at at the cross, looked at me, and said, is there any way you can take the cross out? And I was really thankful to say, no, it's permanent. It was in concrete. There was no way the cross, it never could be removed. It was made to be just as, there, just as much there as the stained-glass windows. In 1450, Pope Nicholas was wrestling with the sustainability of the Christian faith in the medieval age. And he was giving a defense to the cardinals for the building of the Vatican. And he said this, A popular faith sustained only on doctrines, will never be anything but feeble and vacillating. But if the authority of the Holy See, the papacy, were visibly displayed in majestic buildings, imperishable memorials, and witnesses seemingly planted by the hand of God himself, belief then would grow and strengthen like a tradition from one generation to another, and all the world would accept and revere it. Noble edifices combining taste and beauty with imposing proportions would immediately lead to the exaltation of the chair of St. Peter. I attended an installation service here in Birmingham for uh, a senior pastor in a large congregation. And I could just tell by the service that all the pressure... To lead and to guide and, and to be Christ for this congregation was just sort of being loaded on my friend, who, humble, gifted, very capable as a pastor, even to the point where one of the speak, speakers, one of the leaders of the church, got up and said and applied the Isaiah messianic prophecy For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and you call him wonderful. Fought, wonderful God, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and as He said that, He applied it to the pastor. The government will rest on your shoulders. What a what a inappropriate transfer of power unto <laughs> a man. But you see, there's really no substitute. For the real relationship with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And that's gospel. Peter didn't hear the new commandment love. And what made the new commandment love new was the fact that it rested on the atoning sacrifice of Christ. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Where I'm going, Jesus said, you can't follow, but you will follow later. That's the true literal. New commandment love and you will follow later. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is what Christians believe, that one day we will truly be in the real, literal presence of the living God in a new heaven and a new earth that, as John the Apostle describes it, comes down from heaven a holy city, the bride of Christ, he merges two powerful metaphors to describe a real presence, a real place, and real people where human flourishing is as God intended it, and human relationships are as God has designed it. A new heaven and a new earth. Before leaving Toronto in 1987, I wanted to take our two boys to visit my old home sites in Hamburg, New York and Williams- Williamsville, New York. And so one day, and Virginia really enjoyed that because she could spend the day with baby Kennerly all by herself, and I took the two boys, six and five, way too young for this, but we went from, we drove from Toronto to Buffalo. and went to my old elementary school in Hamburg and took a picture of our first home as a a family and uh, went to the uh, graveside of my father in Orchard Park and I took a picture. The boys were great that day, but two things I learned in the course of that day. One, home is not my old houses, my old school. Home was with the two boys that were with me. Home was people, not places. And the second thing I learned was that they weren't very impressed with these things, these sites, these houses, these old houses. And through their eyes, I wasn't either. Home is not where I'm from, but it's where I'm going. C.S. Lewis said, you know, we're very shy about talking about heaven these days. We're afraid that people might accuse us of sort of pie-in-the-sky thinking. Of being told that we're trying to escape from the duty of making a happy world here and now into the dreams of a happy world elsewhere. Lewis says, but either there is a, quote, pie-in-the-sky, or there is not. If there is not, then Christianity is false. For this doctrine is woven into the whole fabric. If there is, then this truth, like any other, must be faced, whether it's useful or not. My awareness of heaven probably lies somewhere between my six-year-old grandson and my father, his great-grandfather. You know, a six-year-old is kind of both brilliant and ignorant at the same time. The line between fact and fantasy There's so much of this world that the the six-year-old doesn't understand. There's a lot of the 64-year-old the world doesn't understand. But I think of Liam and I think of my father. My father died at the young age of 49. And for three days, in that hospital room, he had not moved. He had not opened his eyes. And then, and we were just taking turns around the clock with him expecting death at any moment and he suddenly stirred, he opened his eyes full, looked straight at my mother and then lifted both arms straight in the air and then died. And for us it was not so much a passing from life to death but from death to life leaving at that final act a testimony of, to us anyways, of resurrection in Christ. Brothers and sisters, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.